Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome, guys, to episode 21 of the Social Fishing Podcast. Now, in this episode, I was lucky enough to sit down and interview James Dayton and talk to him about his fishing experiences. Now, James is also the man behind the brand Ballista Lures. Now, I learned so much in this interview with James, and what I love is how genuine a bloke he is and how much he loves fishing, but also how open he is to sharing what he knows about fishing and also his story with his brand. He opened right up in this episode, shared plenty of content, and explained the story behind Ballista Lures. Now, we talk about some of James's fishing experiences, including how he fishes Lake Mawala and the technique he uses to to land giant cod. Now, the best thing is this technique will also work in any other shallow lake system that's been sort of flooded. So, for example, a place like Nagambi, very similar to Mawela, the technique will work the same there. We then talk in depth about his favorite way to fish both lakes and rivers, the techniques he uses, and how he catches his fish before we move on to talking about ballista lures. Now, we step right back to the origin and how the idea all came about and how it evolved into what it is today. It's incredible to hear the backstory of great people in our industry, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed speaking with James. Now, we also discussed the release of his new lure, the Tremor, which has just landed in tackle shops and is available now. Now, this lure is groundbreaking, totally new, and it's great to hear what James has to say about this lure and how it all come about. Now, I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this episode. Now, before we begin, I just want to say a thank you to everyone who has submitted uh, listener questions. I will answer them in the next episode for you. So, if you submitted a question, thank you, and the answers will be coming very soon. Now, for those of you who are new to social fishing or have stumbled onto this podcast somehow and don't know anything about the rest of what we do, we also have a website that's loaded with content. Plenty of articles that talk about different topics. For example, a few are the best lures for Murray Cod. There's an article on that. There's also articles on weather patterns and how they affect fish like barometric pressure and cloud cover how fish react to water levels, and there's also plenty of stories and so many more articles on gold perch, Murray cod, every freshwater fish, carp, redfin, bass, the whole lot, trout. We also have a library of videos. All the videos we create are in there as well, and if you do jump on the site, make sure you check out the Freshwater mini-series if you haven't already. It's a newly released series that has four parts and shows you how to catch Murray Cod, Trout, and Golden Perch. Best of all, it's totally free, so make sure if you haven't already to go check it out. Now, that's enough from me, guys. Now it's time to jump in and have a chat with the one and only, the man behind Ballista Lures, James Dayton. G'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. As always, I love interviewing incredible anglers out there and people who just love fishing and it might not be just from a fishing point of view but also from an industry point of view and in particular today I have James Dayton from Ballista Lures uh, and he is a man who has put his passion into not only fishing but creating 
a product and a lure that helps you guys catch more fish. Now, I've got James with me here. Uh, James, we're over Skype, so hopefully we get some good connections here. But thanks for joining me. And can you start by just telling me where you're from, where you were born, and how fishing become a part of your life? No worries, mate. Well, thanks for having me to start off with. And um, I'm from Shepparton, Victoria. Um, I grew up in Shep. Um, as a teenager, probably sorry, probably from about 10 years old, I started to get into fishing, um, started off with bait, my old man taught me a granny knot, I got sick of losing fish uh, with, with the old hook coming undone and I think a lot of people start off with bait so I'd go into the local tackle store asking for tips and advice, I, I didn't really have anyone to show me anything which was fine, um, so I started off with bait and then I think for a lot of people you, you get a few fish on bait and there's always that natural intrigue to try and catch fish on lure so I spent a year or two trying really hard to catch a fish on a lure and then eventually you get, you know, you get, get a cod or a yellow or something like that in the local Goulburn River and start to catch a few fish and I don't know what it was, but as soon as I caught those first couple of fish, I just always loved it and just had such a strong passion for catching fish. And um, yeah, I, I guess it just developed from there. I, I also had an interest in business as well. Like my my folks had a, a pretty big business, so I always had a strong interest in business. And um, I wanted to make a living out of fishing, but it's in hindsight, there's probably a lot of easier ways to make a dollar than the fishing industry, but but that's okay. I think most of us are in the industry because we just absolutely love it. And you just, no matter what the money is, you, you, you love it so much that you, you just have to do it. So I, I think that one thing led to another and I've just found myself in the industry. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that makes total sense because you're so passionate about it. You wanted to make a living in it, not 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 because of the money, because the, the money's not great. It's just so that you can spend as much of your working day in the industry rather than going out of fishing for five days a week to do a job. You can actually build your whole week, month, year around fishing as a passion and that's obviously what you've done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess when I first started... Um you know, I guess, you know, I was 20 when I first started Ballista, I'm 32 now, I guess when I first started, I, you know, I was still only, you know, pretty young, so you, you don't really have much of an idea about the world, you, you know, you, you're finding your feet, so I had different ideas on what I thought it might be, now, rather than looking back on, you know, maybe how it is, but yeah, no regrets, I've, I've done so much fishing, I've fished with some amazing people, learnt so much. No, no regrets. It's it's been amazing. Yeah, nice, nice. So that that passion, so that fishing passion, or how fishing come to be a part of your life was come through your family. Yes, as you explained before, it all started because of your family. Yeah, my my old man got me started on fishing. Um, he he wasn't very good at it at all, but he, he took me out. Um, we I lived in Melbourne till I was about nine, and uh, we moved back to Shepparton. Um, when I was yeah nine years old, and we, we went for a fish, and we caught a couple of fish. My uncle's rod got pulled in by I, I presume a big cod, and um, that night my old man was trying to think of a contraption to get my uncle's rod back. So was I. He ended up thinking of this uh, uh, this contraption to get it back. It was three uh, clothes hangers uh, sort of bent and joined together on a rope, and. Um, needless to say he actually got it back like we went back the next day and he signed his bloody thing and he actually got the rod back and um I, I was just absolutely hooked like I saw the rod go in and it was pretty devastating but it actually it, it I don't know like it just really got me going like and you know within a couple of days I had my own rod and tackle box and 
we had this little creek that ran ran out the back of the uh, my my parents' farm, and I just started catching carp in there, and I just sort of had fish on tap, even though they're only carp and reddies and the odd yellow. It was still enough, you know, when you're nine, just to be able to catch fish, you know, after school or whatever. It was just enough to ignite the passion. Yeah, tell you what, I reckon that's the most interesting. This is how I got into fishing story I've ever heard. No, it's like I caught this, I caught that, you know, I had this experience. But no, the rod went in and we managed to catch the rod back and, and then the passion went from there. That, that's, that's a good one. That's a real interesting one. I love it. Yeah. So um, next, I want to touch on what's your favorite species to target and why? Now, this, this isn't just fresh. Like, What is your overall favorite species to target? I, I reckon I've, I really, I, I'd have to say, Cod, to start off with, like, between cod, barra, and bass, I just love all three species for different reasons. I, I guess, I guess I would I'd say cod because it's just as much about the hunt. And I grew up chasing cod, and I, I think for the people I've met over the years, they nearly always come back to the species that they start off with. I, I don't know why that's just from what I've noticed. Whether that's catching snapper in the bay, or it's catching a trout, or even just redfin. I, I, I started off with cod, and I always I always come back to it. But I, I guess then barramundi, I absolutely love barra. You know, like they're, they're they're more powerful than a cod. You've got the jump as well, which is which is epic. The amount of times you get done, you know, on a jump from a big fish, and then um, bass on the other hand as well. Like it's it's so close. Like I, I just equally love all three species. I think bass a lot of the time it's just because of the, the location that you're that you're in chasing bass and just on light gear they're just as hard to land a bass on light gear as what it is to hand, to land a barra or a cod on heavy gear. So you know pound for pound like they're they're probably all I, I really struggle to pick between them. But I think cod just because I absolutely love the chase of a big cod and also with big barra I've caught just as many big barra as what I have big cod but I've probably spent a hundred times you know the amount of time chasing big cod so you know they're so elusive trying to catch those big fish and I think that's what keeps me coming back for more they're elusive you know there's there's no such thing really as a as an easy big cod like you've, I've found not for me anyway I, I love those anglers that go out and catch a big cod first time yeah. in the buses, but yeah. um, for the rest of us we've got to work pretty hard for them yeah well good item but uh, you know yeah that's true that's true but yeah i know what you mean exactly it's like oh good stuff but don't think the next one's going to be that easy to catch so when you talked on barra and cod i think you answered the question i was going to ask about the amount of time you spent targeting cod barra are they an easier fish to catch if you know what you're doing and you're with the right people they're an easy fish to catch yeah like cod are much harder tougher fish to get it's I reckon I'm actually probably not the best person to ask because when I go fishing for barra, I'm always fishing with guys that know what they're doing. So it's so much easier when you go and jump in someone's boat, they know where to go to, you know, they know what they're biting on, even if you change a few things up. So whereas with cod, I've done so much, you know, just learning from just trying new things. Whereas with barra, because they're so far away, like I, I do my road trip from Shepherd and the Cairns twice a year. Well, well, I was doing, and um, I wouldn't have the amount of time to put in on the barra. Whereas with cod, you know, you could just put in up in a week and 
just try different things, you know, and I've done that plenty over the years, or even if it's just a weekend of, you know, they're not biting and you just try anything at all to get a bite. I haven't had that same amount of time on a barrow. So barrow, to me, probably seem easy because I don't really miss them much. I don't miss when I go, but I'm fishing with very good people that know what they're, they're doing. So... Yeah, yeah, and some locations on Barra are pretty tough too, like Timbra was a place I found pretty tough, whereas I go to Peter Faust, that's the one place I love to go to. I reckon it's the easiest place in the country to land a big Barra. Like, they're still tough, but like even Joe Blow cod fishermen can go up there and you can trawl up a Barra, you know, you can cast up a Barra. If you just don't know what you're doing with, with Barra, I reckon it's by far the best spot to just go, even with your mates, and just go catch a Barra. So I, I tend to go there because it is a little bit... It's not easy, but it's easier than some impoundments and rivers to catch barra. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. There's there's never... Nothing's never just easy with fishing in general, but I love how you clarified it's it's easier than other places. <laughs> um, so... Definitely. What, yeah, exactly. So what's your... Let's talk a little bit about Murray Cod now and your experience with Murray Cod. What's your go-to technique when chasing Murray Cod? Not... not Let's say, yeah, what's your most favourite style? So what's your, what's your go-to technique? Well, this season, I, I, I learnt something so major this season um, because I only ever fish my lures, like, and, and that can be to my own detriment at times. Like, for example, 10 years ago, I was fishing a lot with Lubin Pfeiffer and he's, he's trolling up, you know, big lures, catching big fish, and I would just patiently fish my lures knowing they're, probably half the size if not smaller than what I needed to fish um, but having said that nowadays probably my favorite way to fish is, is since I've learned this new technique which is fishing over weed bed and just fishing shallows like since I've had this tremor lure in, um, in my arsenal because I only fish my own lures I can really only uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit limited in what I can do sometimes so um, fishing the edge of weed beds in the morning has just been amazing like i fished my whaler for 10 years well longer than 10 years and you know i've caught a few decent fish over the years but i haven't got a meter out of my whaler and since we've been doing this technique we started off with colby in april this year fishing the weed beds and fishing shallow with this big lure it's just completely blown my mind and and the times that i've been back since um we've been consistently getting big fish action in exactly pretty well not in the exact same places i used to fish but in, in more shallow locations right near the places i used to fish and it's just crazy how a couple of small changes can just completely change my outlook on a place like i never used to be that big a fan of a whaler but it was just because i wasn't that good at targeting big fish but now i've learned this technique and there's obviously so much more to learn since i've learned this technique i just love the place because i i just know i'm in the game all the time um, so yeah, so ta- so in answer to your question, sorry, I, I, I love finding weed in about six to eight foot, and I love working a big lure like the Tremor over it and just basically hitting it into the top of the weed. And then as you pull it off that edge, the amount of times you just get smacked by a big cod because you, you know cod are going to be on big snags, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily feeding. If you go to a weed bed, especially in the morning, 
it, it's basically like a smorgasbord. The fish that are going to a weed bed, I think you're going there to feed. So I think that's my favourite new technique is trying to fight, trying to target fish that are feeding because you know, like they're already looking to eat. So that's half the battle. Whereas how many logs do you have to to pepper to try and find one that might you know get angry and bite you, or they are just hungry and they happen to be still sitting on their logs. So I think targeting feeding fish is something i'm really keen to explore even more i love it i absolutely love exactly what you've just explained that's something that i've talked about in podcasts already it's something i've sort of talked about over the last 12 months written articles on is the biggest thing now that was never talked about five years ago was with natives it was all about structure 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 i think now it's all about finding feeding fish so in the situation you're talking about with Mawala, it's the weed beds because that's where your feeding fish are. And for example, where we fish in, say, Blowering, the feeding fish are around bait balls and schools of fish or in certain spots in the morning. And, and the amount of fish you catch when you're targeting feeding fish, as you just explained, is crazy through the roof compared to fishing all those logs, like you said, where you've got dormant fish and you might get one to bite. Fishing the weeds, as you said, is just you got a much better strike rate. You've got hungry fish feeding. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there must be so many different scenarios where they're feeding, like and, and probably location-based, like you said, with bait balls and that sort of thing. I've seen that at Copeton too. Like, where, um, Last trip with, with Colby a couple of years ago, um, we, we found fish in 45 feet and I, uh, we found bait in 45 feet. We fished shallows for a couple of days, just could not get a touch. And we ended up, someone just fluked one, one of the people in our camp, they caught one out deep and we found the bait was sitting out really deep. And as soon as we found the bait, we, we started catching fish consistently. And I think, you know, whether it's in a river, a lake, there, there, there must be, you know, Diff, many different ways that you can find fish that are feeding it. It's probably different in rivers as well, you know, but if you can find different ways to target them when they're feeding, it's just gold. Yeah, so I want to touch on that a little bit. And before we move on, for those of you who don't know what the tremor is or what um, James is talking about, we're going to touch on the tremor and your lures just a little bit further on once we you know, cover a bit more about uh, the techniques and chasing cod. So we will touch on that. But you know how you just said you're fishing those weed beds? Just before we move on, is the lure that you're using on those weed beds, are we talking surface, diving, how, how deep's the lure going and, and what time of day? Yeah, so we were finding first thing in the morning was working really well with weed. So we're starting off the, a morning sesh on the weed. So starting off, you know, before light, um, surface over, so we if there was two of us fishing, we'd have one on surface, like a surface crawler, and we'd have the other, like the lure we were using was a diving swim bait, and the, the I'm not a swim bait expert at all, because I only use my own lures, but um, what I found with the diving swim bait that, that I've been using, uh, one of the best things was, when, when you reel it down into the weed, as soon as you, you can, with, with any hard body, you can feel it hit structural weed before it actually buries into it. So with this lure, you could feel it just touch the weed. So you could give it a one second pause and it backs up off it and you just would, you'd slow your retrieve by about half. So then you're not quite biting down into the weed. So you're just fishing perfectly over the weed. And if you need to stop and slow your retrieve a couple of times, you're not get, you're never getting fouled up by it. So you're fishing over the weed and then as soon as you sort of get that drop off over the edge of the weed, I, th I reckon that that's when you get your bite, either the, the, the cod are uh, patrolling the outside of the weed, they could be sitting in the weed, but so many times when you come over that drop off of the weed, um, you're getting the bite. And I th the, the reason I 
obviously fish go to the weed to feed, but you've also got to be able to fish it effectively to get a bite. If you cast in and you get fouled up straight up, like the fish are still there, but of course they're not going to bite this fouled up lure. So you've got to be able to fish something effectively to be able to get a bite. And that's what I've really been enjoying about that lure. So are you fishing weed beds? How do you find them? Can you see the weed beds? Because I'm imagining if you've got a weed bed with weed like right up to the top, you can't cast anything over that. Are you like fishing the channels between them or are you fishing weed that's got like a, a couple of foot clearance from there, from like the top of the weeds to the, the surface? And then if you are, how do you find them yeah. if they're underwater? Well, well, yeah, well, that, that's a, a good point. Um, basically, with a finder, so we're looking, what we've had the most success doing is finding six to eight feet and finding weed that's uh, probably halfway up from the bottom. So you'd be looking for thick weed, uh, but yeah, you don't want it to come up to the surface. As you say, it's, it's, it is impossible to fish, even with a uh, diving bib that works over it well. So yeah, we're looking for, for thick weed in six to eight feet of water uh, that you can, you can basically work over the top of it. And um, yeah, like, like, so when you're fishing weed, you quite often see uh, bony brim busting up. You know, those first two hours in the morning, you'll see bonies busting up and they seem to be a bit of a hot spot. Like if you see a bit of activity, it sounds obvious, but you, you go and just target those areas because you know the bait fish are there. Like you could have a weed bed that could be two or three hundred metres long um, you know, on, you know, Monday, they could be at one end, you know, even later in the morning, they could be at the other, but you just keep an eye out. And if you can find bait or activity, like it really seems to um, be, be a good spot to start with getting fish. Yeah, right. So it's about finding the, the weed beds, but also the activity around the weed bed as well. Because there'd be a lot of weed beds around, but so you're trying to find a bit of activity to go, right, we should concentrate here. Um, is that the thought process? Yeah. So basically, I guess we had a cut. Like we had a couple of weed beds to start off with. So what what I like to do every time I go to my whaler, it's really just for a morning session because that's all I've got with kids. So I'll go for a morning session. I've got two or three weed beds that I'll hit, and I'll probably do half an hour on one max. If there's no bite, I'll go and dart straight over to another weed bed. Um, so I've got two to three weed beds that I've got in my mind and I'm going to fish those for the morning. If there's no, After the morning's done, whether I've caught fish or not, I always like to try and go and explore a new area and see if I can't find a weed bed for another day. So, um, yeah, you, you, I guess if you can just find a weed bed or two to get started and then if, if you've got, say, three or four days there, just try... You know, during the day, you know, it's sort of a little bit of slack time during the day. If you can just take an hour to just go exploring and you find an extra weed bed or two um, and then you can try it next time and every time you do it, you've got a couple more spots to try uh, next time you go. Yeah, right. So this is a technique, obviously, that you would work in shallower lakes. So a lot of shallow flooded lakes. So Mawail and Agambi kind of situations full of weed beds on the edges. Uh, have you come across weed beds in rivers? Like I know a lot of the rivers around this way where I fish they're just non-existent because of the carp and the up and down flows so do you do you get them in rivers or are we is your style of fishing in the rivers out your way totally different yeah so i i guess this technique is by far the most effective i've found at Mawela. like Mawela is a shallow lake and a lot of the best structure is also in that six to eight foot so it is so well suited to Mawela. the 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 only other river that really comes to mind as a great river that had weed was the Darling, but unfortunately that's basically wiped out now. But that used to 
have a lot of great weed that you could you could fish the same way like you could even like it wasn't my technique but i know colby caught a couple of meter fish just he used to just throw a couple of uh surface lures out the back and just troll along the edge of a weed bed uh in a darling river so i think it's the same thing you know whether it's a, a river or a lake um i think fishing weed you know, it's going to be the same thing. But like you say, there's so many lakes and rivers where you don't have that weed. So in, in those instances, uh, you've you got to find them other ways. Like Copeton, for example, uh, since it's dropped over the last few years, it used to have amazing weed and you used to be able to pull good fish off the weed with surface or uh, I imagine the same sort of technique with swim baits and that sort of thing around the edge of the weed would have been dynamite. But because it keeps dropping, it doesn't give the opportunity the, the weed the opportunity to grow for you to be able to fish around it. So, um, yeah, I, so if, if there's weed, you've got that opportunity. If there isn't weed, I guess you've got to... Um, find them some other way. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that uh, following the bait is key for, say, when we fish in impoundments because we're looking for those hungry fish. When it comes to, say, a river, I just go back to basically fishing structure because in a river, there's not a whole heap of water around. Um, if you don't have weed beds, the structure is the real key areas because there's no areas where they're going to actually move out and feed. So if you've got a, a river, say, through Victoria, some of the waterways you fish, obviously a big river like the Murray compared to a smaller one like the Goulburn, they're going to fish differently. But what's your go-to technique in a, in a river? If you were to go out and fish for the day, would you troll? Would you cast? Um, what's you, What would be your plan of attack? Yeah, I, I found rivers to be completely different with catching cod compared to lakes, you know, especially with over the last few years, just seeing the way cod bite in impoundments like Copeton or Mawala, um, compared to like the Murray or the Goulburn and that sort of thing. I just found in the rivers, just, just going back to basics works better than anything. Like you don't need, you know, big flash expensive lures in rivers. In lakes, I reckon you do. You, you really need, you know, a lot of those premium swim baits and surface lures. You, you need all that sort of thing. But in the rivers, I reckon it's just so, just keep it simple, hey? Like, like hard body spinner baits, basic surface lures, um, I've seen I've seen that a lot the last couple of years. You can try and get fancy with all the expensive stuff, but you, you're never going to outfish hard bodies and spinner baits and just basic surface laws. Like, yeah, I, I, I like that though. Like, I just love how spinner baits and just traditional size hard bodies still work. So in the rivers, exactly what you said. Like, just fishing, fishing structure. You know, complex structure. All the stuff as cod fishermen we've learned over the years like i don't think you need to reinvent the wheel in, in a rivers in in lakes like i said i reckon you do you just got to think outside the box as much as possible but yeah for me just keep it simple in the rivers so do you have what's one of your go-to rivers do, do you fish the murray a bit or or would goulburn be your pick of the rivers close to shepparton what what would be your go-to sort of spot to go for a fish close to you and then if you are when you whatever river that is when you're casting, say you're fishing with a hard body, I, I just want to ask this because people have different styles of fishing. And when I was younger, I used to fish very tight to, not tight to structure, but I used to get quite close to the structure and fish right up against the bank, um, right on the visible structure. But over years, I've learned that when you don't have a heap of current, um, you, you want to back out a bit and sort of fish your lures down and all the way out past the timber that's down the deepest because that's where your bigger fish are. I'm not sure what, how would you approach one of your river local rivers that you'd fish yeah so when i'm picking somewhere to fish i just pick it basically on how 
a waterway would be fishing at the time. So, you know, there could be around Shepparton, there could be half a dozen options, whether that's the Goulburn, the Broken, the Murray, Lake Yield, Mawala. I'll basically try and fish somewhere when it's fishing at its best. So, you know, the Broken River, it's one of my favourite spots to fish. Like, it's an awesome little fishery to put, put the kayak in, but... At the moment, I will not fish it. I'm so looking forward to cod opening next weekend, and I probably will fish it. But because we haven't had any rain or a flush down it for six months, if not more, probably almost 12 months, um, it just it's going to fish like crap. It's low and stagnant, and I find that with other rivers as well, like the Goulburn for different reasons. Uh, because it has a lot of irrigation flow, it tends to fish really good for about four weeks. As soon as they, they turn the irrigation off, before it gets too cold, it fishes really good around April. So firstly, the, the first part answer to your question was, I'll just pick a, a, a river for when it's fishing well. I won't bother fishing a Goulburn if it's on a big drop or a big, a big rise because you're just, you're just wasting your time. Same with the broken. But when, but when it gets that flush about three weeks after when it gets, starts to clear up a bit it will go off and that's when I used to when I used to have more time I would go really hard because I know you're going to get a great return for your effort um, and secondly the second part of your question when, when I'm looking for structure I always love the um, the first third to the second third probably and beyond of a snag so I, I love it when they um so say if the, the root ball's exposed and you've got all the branches going into the into the water, I like to sort of cast up in the branches, but I'll never forget that the best fish I ever got was in a darling and it was this huge lay down. And what I was trying to do, I was trying to land it right next to the thick thickest part of the tree, but I cast about probably a metre and a half wide, which wasn't too bad, and I got belted by this huge cod. And, it, and I think because it was such a big tree, I'd say the biggest branch would have actually been a couple of metres out to the side of it. So whilst it didn't go where I wanted it, I reckon it actually went exactly where it needed to be. So I reckon you almost need to visualise, you know, the size of timber and where are those branches going to be? Because if it's a smaller timber, uh, a smaller tree, you probably do want to be pretty close. But if it's a bigger tree, you could probably cast two metres to to the side and you're probably right in the game there. So... Um, yeah, and when, when I'm fishing structure, I reckon my favourite structure, I, I like to try and find stuff that's not obvious. So, you know, um, I'm just trying to think, you, you know, just, just little things where you, you might see just, you know, a, you know, one in the middle of nowhere you got one tip of a stick sticking out and you think, you know, and you think okay, that, okay that, that's just the tip of a stick that looks like a twig. But, you know, a lot of the time there's a huge tree underneath that and that that's the stuff i love fishing I'll, I'll spend probably too much time trying to you know fish it from one end go up to the other end and but i i swear i've got my best fish trying to fish those timbers that are a little less obvious especially when you're fishing pressured water uh just stuff trying to think of ways to fish the same water that other people aren't yeah, love it. I love it. That's something that I've done a lot of too recently. When I was younger, it was always biggest, biggest, biggest. Now it's like, hang on, what's going on over here? Sounders obviously help us quite a lot, but in a river, a lot of us don't use them, especially small rivers, but those small twigs and things like that are key. So now I want to jump on to talk about your passion for lure making and how that all started. I know at the start you said you know that you got into it, but where did that initial spark for 
I'm going to start making these lures come from. And then can you tell us the story behind Ballista? Like how did you come up with Ballista lures and the LED technology for Ballista, you know, and what it's famous for? I'm, I'm sure you've got a great story behind the design. Well, I, I don't know if it's a great story, but I guess it started, um, I was a young bloke. I went to uni for a year or so and um, I just, I, I didn't I didn't enjoy studying anymore. Like I went pretty hard during high school and I, I was in uni and I just found it. I just was much more of a hands-on person. I learned a lot better from just learning and making mistakes. So um, I, I quit uni basically and I was sort of just working in a camping store and just basically looking for opportunities and I... I saw, like, I wanted to go to America for a year just to, to fish and just, I, you know, just explore when you're a young fellow. Um, and I saw an electronic-type lure, and I, I, it, it really piqued my interest. And it, I, I sort of researched that lure, and it, it looked, like, fairly ordinary um, in the end. But it did give me an idea of, I, I really liked the idea of a flashing light in a lure. So I sort of pondered on the idea. I didn't do anything about it for a year. Um, I just worked in a camping store and sort of got sick of doing that. So in the end, I, I thought about it more. And I think the reason why I decided to try and make a lure with the light in it, it wasn't because I thought I could make a, um, a lure better than anyone else. I, that, the only reason I did it is because I thought I had something that would be different to anyone else. And I guess... Um, I, I guess looking back on it, like I started off with, a, you know, I, I made a handful of lures that had the light in it, but I was really just beginning an apprenticeship, really. Like I was, I was just learning as I as I was going, you know, making lures, making a lot of mistakes, improving. Like I had the, I've had the same factory that I had, you know, eleven years or so ago. Um, just lots of improving, and um, just through a love of fishing, I got got lots of feedback over the years the early days quite deservedly got a, a fair bit of harsh feedback but it would yeah, i found the harshest I feedback it, i found it was the best like it would it would cut me deep but it was uh, that that was the feedback that would inspire me to make the biggest changes so yeah like I, you know got a lot of feedback about the lures about the light i think anything with you know electronic technology is always going to uh, get people wondering it, it looked like it screams like a gimmick uh, you know it looks like a gimmick so I totally get that I've got that from day one but um, I guess through doing research uh, into the technology I, I got great confidence in that the technology does work no matter what it looks like it does it does scream a gimmick so it's, it's always been a challenge it always has been and I, I think it probably always will be just trying to get people to see it's a like that I'd like to think they're a great lure like a great cod lure that's got this technology in it as a bonus and I know we were going to get onto that later but I just sort of naturally got into that as um, part of the story went so did, did you have anything else you wanted to know more specifically about the story yeah yeah so so did was it a fair process like to get the the original so what was the original lure so did you go what was your original model um and what was the process to get the the circuit working and making sure that it was good and and how long did it take from you know when you first had the idea you said you pondered for a year then how long till you had a production and on the shelf and did you have one or did you have more as the first release for ballista yeah, so it was um, basically day one of 2009, I, I said, okay, I'm going to actually get started on some samples and um, that's when I started thinking about lure shapes and um, about the technology. So I guess uh, on one hand, I was starting to carve wood and that sort of thing um, and also I was uh, 
starting to speak to some various suppliers and just try and see see what was out there and um, I'm just trying to think now. So I, there, I remember there was numerous suppliers I was talking to and I guess through just taking a, you know an educated guess I I, I, uh, I picked a supplier um, who seemed the most knowledgeable and um, we ended up just playing around with the, um, with uh, technology like flashing lights we tried different colors and batteries we tried um, rechargeable where you could actually pull a battery out and put a battery in but that leaked like a sieve that method so um, so th th there was just all sorts of um, trial and error but um, yeah so that was at start of 2009 by the end of 2010 I had one lure which was the Dino 75 and the funny thing was uh, that that original lure I was like looking back on it I was actually really happy with that first lure I actually tried to cha change that lure and I made some other lures after that that were nowhere near as good as soon as I changed it I put a through wire in listening to feedback but I actually ruined the lure as soon as I put that through wire in it it just it became neutrally buoyant to to slightly so, slow sinking especially back then 10 years ago everyone was using a clip so it would sink so I basically ruined a perfectly good lure uh, by putting a through wire in but um yeah so end of 2010 is when I launched my first lure the Dino 75. Yeah right so you had just one and it went on the shelves as one single lure? Yeah I'm, I'm just trying to think I I I, I actually had four pretty quickly, so I, re I definitely launched that first one, and I reckon within a few months, I had another three coming in behind it, because I had four, which was the Dino 100, Jesus, that thing dies, it dies for like 12 metres, like there's nothing wrong with it, apart from the fact that there's not that many places you can fish at 12 metres, um, uh, the other lure I had was a Juggernaut 90, which I, I've still got in the range, I, I really like the Juggernaut still actually, and the other lure was a cyclone, which was basically a lure that no every barra fisherman said it looked too much like a cod lure, and every cod fisherman said it looked too much like a barra lure. So it ended up in no man's land. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. So the the seventy five and the one hundred, they're no more. You've got the ninety now for the dino. So what happened there? Did you what was what happened there? Yeah. So basically, what happened was so I had the dino seventy five, then at the dino one hundred, I also released a dino sixty. And basically, I, I must admit, I, I had some issues with the Dino 60s not swimming straight. The Dino 100, there was never, never a problem with it. It just, it wasn't a big seller because it was just so deep diving. The Dino 75, I, um, it, it didn't ruin the lure, but I, I guess it, it made it very difficult for people to fish it the way they wanted to, which was just hook a clip on and troll it. So basically, I, I, I felt like I wanted to, uh, after I had those lures for a few years, I wanted to make something completely new, try and do something different, which was um, we kind of basically cut my losses with that lure, even though it still worked, um, cut, cut my losses and try and make something new, which I, with the smokes, what I wanted to do was try and make a, a tighter, more intense action rather than the old slow wide wobble, which is nothing wrong with that. I just wanted to, by that stage a few years ago, I was trying to, uh, make lures that were a bit different. So yeah, I just I just wanted to try and move on and do and do something new, take a, a different direction with a with cod lures. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they've they've come a long way since since the early days. And anything does. Everything takes a process and a path. And what I love is that that it's you. You're an Aussie. You're not just an overseas you know brand that's brought a lure in. Like you're a true Aussie who's who's trying to make a passion out of fishing and and create a good lure for anglers. Like you said, you had the sixty and the seventy. 
25 and the and the 100 but they didn't work for anglers so you you changed it up to build a lure that works catches fish and works for anglers which which is exactly what you need to do which is great so what i love about the dino it would be my favorite in the range is i feel like it is one of the best hard body lures cast accuracy wise and just ease of use so not only has it got the led in it but as a lure on its own it's just really simple easy to use has an awesome thump and i think you've done a really good job on that even down to the fact that it's got the thinner tail which a lot of cod lures don't have which means you hook up on golden perch a lot easier and also cod that have a crack at the back and i'm sure that's why you designed it but I just want to say the Dino is an absolute cracker of a lure. I love using it, and you've done a really good job on that one. Thanks, mate. Yeah, the actually uh, the Dino ninety. The reason I kept that lure is because I absolutely loved it, and that that lure I found a lot of people really like that lure. Like I would have got shot if I discontinued that lure. Um, so I had to keep the Dino ninety. That was the only lure, the only Dino I kept out of the range, and I I just loved it so much, and I. I had the best feedback by far out of any of the dinos. So that's why that was the only one I kept. I couldn't get rid of that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you kept it. And what I also noticed about the... I don't know if your earlier juggernauts... I don't know if they were like this or not, but I noticed what I love about the juggernaut is it's a quite a big lure, easy to cast. You cast it on a, on a bait caster for what it is, but it actually sinks deceivingly slow, which is unbelievable for a lipless crankbait of that size. So... I'm sure you've designed it exactly like that, but it's really, you wouldn't think it would sink so slow and I find that's the issue with, uh, well, obviously it depends on the situation. Sometimes you want a lipless crankbait to sink quick, but a lot of times you want it to sink slowly and and I think it does a really good job of that. So that was obviously a part of the design. Yeah, well, obviously uh, there's a a couple of big players, especially one big player with lipless crankbaits who've just done an amazing job. So when... With what I I do, I try and at least try and do something differently. So in making a lipless, I really wanted to have something that was slow. And um, yeah, I feel like that's the best part about the Juggernaut is how slow it sinks. And I love that. It, with the Juggernaut 65 anyway, um, in, in a river like the Broken the broken river it, it um i love the slow sink and i love how easy it flicks off snags too like i know some lures flick off uh off snags really well and i think it's just comes down to luck really more than a design thing it, at least for me anyway i must admit i didn't design that in there but i find the juggernaut 65 flicks off snags so well so um considering how snaggy lipless crankbaits are i absolutely love uh, flicking them for cod and yellows in certain scenarios and yeah the the slow sink rate I, it, it would be too hard to fish a fast sinking crankbait in scenarios especially like rivers i think yeah yeah 100 percent. a lot of lipless crankbaits are very hard to fish in a river and and a tip for for you guys out there if you if you do want to fish a lipless crankbait in timber is just to hold the lure up nose up and, and the hooks will fall and just cut that forward facing treble off um, we, we did this at Windermere when we fished Windermere with the weed just cut that one that faces forwards off and it rides over the timber better I'm, I'm sure you you fish them like that as well in heavy timber I, I haven't I probably haven't been fishing enough to to be paying that closer attention but I, I used to do that a lot actually I used to cut the forward facing off but I must admit I've just been fishing them as they are in recent times but I have tried that and I do like that technique it just cut it's just as easy to cut the forward facing uh, barb off rather than actually getting a double yeah yeah especially if you're snagging too much obviously if you're 
getting it through the timber without snagging and keep going because you've got an extra point and an extra hook. So what I want to touch on again is what you talked about with that with the LED technology. It, obviously, it started because of this, this lure you found, but going along the process, what did you learn about that technology that makes it work? Like obviously, you did a bit of research into the fact that fish react to it. So what, what did you find out of that and what did you do to test that and do you know how the fish behave? Yeah, so I, I, I think the biggest thing I found about the LED is how variable it is and, and it varies actually even species to species. I, I found certain species react a lot more strongly to the LED than others um, and also, uh, you know, certain certain days they, they may not react at all to it. I've found, apart from probably night time with a bright LED, I haven't found that it scares them, but I've found some days you just won't get any extra action out of it. And then other days, if you fish it often enough, like you just swear black and blue the amount of extra bites you're getting on it compared to the bloke that's using, you know, something else or, you know, vice versa. Um, so I, I, I think that's the hardest the hardest part of marketing the technology too is that it varies so much. Uh, on, on the waterway, you could be fishing, um, you know, obviously low light conditions and dirty water is when it works most consistently well. And the reason why it does work well, that there's basically a peak brightness of the LED when it will work most well. So in dirty water, even a few, even a few feet down, I've tested on a bright day, um, I, I was just trying to get some footage of a lure in fairly dirty water. You can't see the LED above the water in, in bright sun you just can't see it um, but I found getting footage of it even just a foot or two down I couldn't believe how bright it was even just a couple of feet down so and, and many people that have used the lures uh, a lot in dirty water they will notice um, and comment how well it works in dirty water and also leading up to dark at night time uh, there's less light and the LED is brighter it tends to work better at that time and um, one thing that is important to, to know and I think a lot of people out there that have used them would know it without me needing to say is at night time with the standard LED it gets so bright once it starts to look like a beacon it, it just it just doesn't work which is why I introduced the concept of after dark which was an LED which is 20 times less bright so it's just like a little flicker at night so at night time it's at that peak brightness that I was talking about before um, and, and it works so much better so the, the key to the LED is you get more bites when it's at that peak brightness so if you're fishing clear water during the day and it's a bright day the LED is not going to be that bright so it's not going to be that beneficial uh, whereas on the flip side if it's dirty water even on a bright day it's going to be beneficial or you know the dawn and dusk as the light is less and the LED is brighter it works really well yeah right okay I get it so so you're saying the light you don't use them in the dark unless you're using the after dark model because it's too bright that's what you're saying as well that, yeah, that that's right. So it, we, we've got the, you can still get fish on it, but it definitely doesn't work anywhere near as well. Once you start getting that, that gets that a bit of a beacon effect where it's so bright, uh, where it looks like it's not contained within the lure anymore. It looks like it's actually glowing far outside the lure. That's when it doesn't work as well. So whereas if you change over to the after dark at that stage, it makes a big difference. Um, 
for sure. It makes a massive difference. So you'll still get the benefit of the LED at night time with the, with the after dark, whereas if you use a standard LED, uh, it, it, it definitely puts fish down. And I don't mind saying it because I just want people to use the lures in the right scenarios to get the most out of it. Otherwise, I'll use it at night and say, oh, this doesn't work. And they're, they're right, it doesn't work if you use the, the bright LED at night. Yeah, right. Okay. So I know that with fish, we, we don't know how they think. Like we can only assume how they think based on, you know, how we fish and what we do and, you know, the situations we target them in and then we get success and we go, right, oh, they must think a little bit like this. Uh, how do, do you know how the fish in their brain, how they react to the LED? Because I know uh, massive, you know, you use bait. It's the most natural thing you can get. You catch fish, right? And then you've got things like a spinnerbait, which isn't natural at all. It's like totally not natural, but it works because it gets in the right spots, but also because it does it does something right. I, I still don't actually know why a spinnerbait works, but anyway. The LED, do you know how it makes the fish react? Like what, what does it trigger in them? Does it just trigger, yeah, this is alive, this is food, like a spinnerbait, which is making a lot of noise. They know it's food. Do, do you know? And I know it's different from species to species, obviously, or... And, and say even in dirty water, in dirty water, it, it's it you know it, it gives off an effect of what kind of effect does it give off to the fish? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So in 2011, I went up to James Cook University in Cairns, and I spent a week up there in the in the labs, and it was just the most fascinating week of my life. I reckon just seeing the way Barrett interacted with the technology, it, it was amazing. So I think the simple answer to that, I think. Well, I, I think there's two parts to it. I think, firstly, it's in, it's intrigued. Like, I think they're intrigued by the light. Um, the reason I say that was it, we had different coloured LEDs. We had the exact same painted lure in different coloured LEDs and no LED. And when you cast either a different coloured LED or no LED, that they, they the barrel would all, no matter what you threw in a tank, they'd always come up and have a look at it. So with no LED, they come up and it was probably a second or less. I'd look at it, turn away. Whereas with the, the flashing red LED and only with this uh, combination, would they would come up and they would they would just sit under it for like three seconds and they just stare at it. It was honestly amazing just to see the way they engaged with it. And it wasn't just once, it was every time you threw in that flashing red LED. And occasionally they'd hit it and, you know, after a few seconds they would just swim off. But the, so I think it starts with intrigue and I think sometimes... Um, they hit it out that they're hungry they're already looking for a feed but I think that's why it's so important that the the technology it it gives that intrigue but you've also got to match the hatch if you're trying to throw a big cod lure at a a trout they might be intrigued by it but there's no way they're going to eat it because you're not you're not matching the hatch so you still can't just throw a ballista lure with an LED and just throw everything else out the window you still have to match the right lure for that scenario um, so yeah, so it starts off with intrigue, and I think the second part of it, and I've seen it with Barrett and Cod, actually and Bass too, uh, angry territorial fish. Sometimes I just swear they just get so angry, and they just smash it to get it out of their out of their territory. And you notice that especially when it's a lower light condition too, where the LED is actually a bit brighter. I think it could be a bit more aggravating. So I think if they're just bloody woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever reason, sometimes it'll just piss them off and I'll just smash it. So I, I've sort of seen two different reactions to the technology. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the second one. The first one I never actually thought about and that makes total sense. So, it's the intrigue and then it's the fact that, yeah, this is this is real based on, say, we're talking about one of your divers, like, you know, a hard body works for cod anyway because of the, the, the thump it gives off its action. So, you know, they're intrigued by the light, the thump, they come over, yeah, it, it looks real, I'm going to hit it. So, you've still got to work the lure properly. You've still got to use the right lure in the right situation and the lure itself has to be designed right so you would have put a lot of time into actually designing a lure that works and that's why i love the dyno even if the dyno you know it, it didn't have the led it i'd still fish it as a confident hard body because it's built you know really well it, it runs over timber really well it gets to the right depth and things like that so you're saying that it's the combination of the lure designed right used right with the led as well that that's the whole package yeah, absolutely. I, I think the reason why someone should pick up a ballister and fish it is because it, I'd like to think it's a great lure. I've had the time to iron out all the teething problems and make sure they're tough as nails. But the, re- the reason why you, you would also fish it, it, the LED has that extra intrigue. So if a fish is 50-50, you know, you get a fish following a lure, um, you know, they, 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 the amount of fish that must see our lures go past, you know, I think you know, occasionally uh, or, or, or in certain moods that they will see that light and it really turns them on. So, you know, a lot of the time it may be neither here nor there, but like the dirty water, low light conditions, I think in those certain times it can really trigger them. That can be just that extra reason to bite the lure. Um, you, you might need four out of five reasons to be that it's a good lure, but that, that could be just that extra reason um, and it quite often is to get them to bite the lure. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, so tell me about the the tremor. Um, people might have seen it. They might have heard about it coming out. You've done a lot of testing with Colby and others. Um, I saw Lubin got a nice fish on the tremor. Um, this this is a, a kind of like a industry a step in the industry for the design of the lure. Nothing out there like it. So tell me what was the what was the plan behind the tremor? Um, was there a, a one moment you can think back to to what led to its design? And also, can you tell people exactly what the tremor is? Yeah. So it, it the I, I thought of a most of my new lure um, ideas come from fishing in a scenario where I might be fishing for a few days and whatever I've got in my tackle box is just not going to get a bite. So something else will be obviously working, you know. Um, so I was at I was at Copeton about five years ago, and it was a great season for surface. And if you didn't have a big a big surface lure or anything big, if you were fishing under a hundred mil, you could not even get a sniff at a bite. But if you were two hundred mil or bigger, you'd be getting consistent action. They just did not want to bar a small of small lures. So it was that trip fishing fishing with a guy who's fishing. Uh, big lures which was great that he was getting bites i love seeing that if i can't get them i want someone else to you know inspire me with you know whatever else is out there it's awesome to see people get bites in different ways so it was that trip on coped and i was just like man next year when i come back i need something to throw like because i can only throw my own lures so i was just determined to make make something that i could throw but then I'd also did uh, after I thought about it. I, I was like, I, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I, anything I've made, there was nothing overly outstanding or groundbreaking about the lures that I've made. I absolutely love everything I've made, but there's nothing groundbreaking about it. You know, it's another version of a surface crawler. It's another version of a hard body. You know, like. Pretty much everyone in the industry does that. You know, you keep making new variations of the same thing. And I thought, no, look. 
I've been doing this long enough. It's time to try and think of my own idea. Um, so, yeah, it took me three and a half years of playing around, and the idea kind of developed as I went. So what I what I tried to do was try to think of the craziest thing I could possibly think of. Um, and at the time, I thought that is going to be absolutely impossible. I sort of thought, okay, I want to add vibration. I want it to be rechargeable. And in my mind, I, I wanted to have uh, two interchangeable surface bibs, a, a crawling and a wake bait bib. But it sort of developed as I started getting into it. I sort of thought, well, you know, a diving bib would be great. I sort of just thought of it as a bonus, a diving bib. But once I got started on it, I just fell in love with the, the with the diving bib, and I thought this is actually probably the biggest point of difference. And I really doubled down on the diving bib, the crawling bib, and the wake bait bib were, were really pretty easy in comparison with with this diving bib. It was so hard. I could get the action, but to actually get it to dive, to get three actions off the one toe point is just insanely difficult. It, it was so hard. Like when you tie the lure on, you you wouldn't even know any different, but it was so hard to get three good actions off the one toe point. It was actually wasn't that hard to get two off the one toe point, but to get that third action was just ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, I won't say it, it, with, with the tremor, I really wanted to try and make something that was different. So I think what I've done, like I've made a surface crawler and a wake bait. Yep, that's been done. I, I'm really stoked with the crawler and the wake bait. Like, but they're not groundbreaking. I think what is groundbreaking is probably the the diving bib and also the the vibrating. Like that that vibrating, the the looped on for two seconds, off for two seconds. The way that looks on the water with surface is just ridiculous. So I think the two things that I've done differently is the vibration and the um the diving bib. So. Yeah, I'd like to think hopefully after all these years, I might have done something different, even if it took me a long time, too long. <laughs> no, I think I think you have because I've, I've seen a bit of it and I know you sent me some photos of colours as you were designing it and, and, and I saw, you know, you went to Mawala and got all those good fish with Colby but it, it is incredible and I think that point of difference is the vibration and when I was at school in year 12, I actually did a design tech project which was for us and I did this whole process of how fish feed and, and what would be the best way to catch them and I always thought a surface lure that vibrated would be absolutely killer and, and I actually designed this little this little lure that vibrated. It was a long way off what something that you've put together, but I too thought the same. If someone can put together a lure that that vibrates, because you think about when fish are in stress, they give off that that feeling, and I think the closest feeling to that that we can match is vibration, but not vibration by winding it away from the structure. The fact that you can cast it in, sit it on the log, not even move it, and it's working. That's going to be, yeah, I can't wait to give them a fish because I think the the amount of fish they'll catch is incredible. So those fish that you caught at Mawala with Colby, were they, were they top water or were they the diving bit? What, like what do you think will catch most fish for people? Yeah, I, I, reckon, it, I reckon it'll be 50-50. Like at, at Mawala, it'll be the crawling bib and the diving bib. Like in the northern lakes, I coped and for whatever reason, wake bait bibs work so well up in the northern parts of New South Wales. But um, yeah, to start off with, in April, that was when we first, it was Easter weekend, um, that's when we first started fishing it and Colby got two good fish on, on the crawling bib, sort of, you know, the obvious times, you know, uh, he got one, uh, they were both in the morning actually, about 5.30 in the morning um, before the uh, sun had come up and the other two were just in the middle of the day on the diving bib. So 
I, I think it'll be I think it'll be both. And the one thing I'm I'm really excited about, I, I'm excited to see that I, I think good fishermen will be using these. And I think with the vibration, that's something that Cod hadn't seen before. I'm so stoked for the start of Cod season because I think there'll be things that'll turn up, like stories will turn up you know, that we haven't seen before. And I think even fishermen will find ways to fish this lure in ways I hadn't thought of. I, I just reckon there's going to be some interesting stories come out over the next few months when you see different brains, you know, different ways of thinking, try, you know, using a lure that has so many different applications. So I'm really excited to see what people might actually do with it. Yeah, nice. And and what I'll do is I'm going to interview Colby hopefully in the next few weeks um, and get him on the podcast. And I'll talk to him more in depth about actually using them because he is a gun angler and I'm sure he's got some tips on how and how to use them. But just for people uh, who want to know, you, you've got three bibs. Uh, it vibrates. It, it's got the light. It's got the flashing light in it. Yes, and does. Um, and what's its length? Yeah, so it's a three-piece, two hundred mil. So yeah, like it, it's a perfect size for sort of getting big fish interested. But you can still get sixties and seventies on it quite easy. So you're not sacrificing, not catching anything at all. It is a big fish lure, of course. Like you're not you're not going to get as many numbers as say a you know a ninety mil surface lure. But it, it's, it's I think it's a really good size for getting big fish, but not completely sacrificing, you know, anything. Yeah, nice. I'm glad you put in the the hours and the the years and the time to create the, a lure like that. So that's a new one that uh, is out the tremor. Um, so what I want to just obviously a new model. What I want to talk about before we finish up is uh, what's your opinion on the future direction for freshwater fishing, more so from an industry product point of view uh, for anglers, not not the fish per se, um, like that from an industry point of view, we've seen it change so much, right, over the last decade. Uh, do you think it will change even more? Like, you know, you go back a decade ago, the lures have advanced, you know, the swim baits were, were not on the market. And then where's it going to go to from now, especially when we're seeing innovation from anglers like yourself releasing brand new designs to the world? Like this is this is an Australian, I don't know if it's a world first or not, but it's an, definitely in a cod first, an Australian first. What do you think will happen in the next 10 years? Do you think new lures will come out and, and new designs that will take over the world and will all be... Because if you think back five years ago, we weren't casting swim baits. Like, who had a swim bait rod and was casting swim baits, 200 mil swim baits? Like, who was casting in the dark? Like, I don't even think about... We didn't even fish in the dark casting. It was only a trolling thing. So do you think, not from the fishing point of view, but from a product point of view, do you think it's going to continue to change a lot over 10 years or do you think we'll just refine our angling skills more over the next 10 years? What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I, I reckon that there's just going to be, there's there's always going to be lots of new products coming out. Um, yeah, look, look, I reckon that, I reckon in five years' time we'll be talking about something new that's come out, maybe like a swim bait type equivalent. Like I, I, I can't, um, I can't see the the, the future, but I, I do know as fishermen we love new toys. But like every season, there's always some new hot new surface lure. Uh, we we love new toys, so I have no doubt. You know, there, there'll be lots of new variations of things, whether they're overly innovative or not. There'll definitely be new stuff, but I, I'm sure there will be. I reckon that. Yeah, I, I, I probably can't foresee things as much. In the, the last couple of years, I've been so tied up with kids and, and that sort of thing. Um, probably sounds a bit silly, but um, yeah, no, I have no doubt. I, I'm excited to see what, what's coming. Like, I, I, I hope I hope more innovation comes out of Australia. Like, there's heaps of good lure makers. I hope 
people get into it and like I want to see you know exciting stuff come out of Australia like we don't need it to just come out of Japan or the US like I want to see people innovating stuff here um, so hopefully there can be more new things come out of Oz. Yeah, mate, I think you are leading the way and I reckon that was silly because even with your kids, you're, uh, you've smashed out this unbelievable new lure which is going to change uh, cod fishing, I think, um, for for the better. So thanks for leading the way and, and like you said, the, the more new cool things that, that aren't just gimmicks but actually help anglers catch more fish because people don't have time. Like you're talking about, you got the kids now, time's hard, um, especially if you got lures as well, like getting a chance to fish is difficult so the better a lure or the better the more we know about things the more we share that's the whole point of this podcast people average fishers anyone great fishers people who are new to it can get out there and have success and have fun using quality gear and know what they're doing so uh, thanks for leading the way um nearly before we're done i've got one last thing or two more questions for you what's your most memorable catch to date what is one catch memory let's go freshwater for for our freshwater listeners um what is your most memorable catch to date yeah definitely definitely one popped straight to mind I'll, I'll never forget it it was a terrible cast i was talking about earlier um in in a darling I, it was the last weekend before close and i couldn't get anyone to come with me that weekend the weekend before the weekend Don't you after, hate that? There was, <laughs> yeah i i did but it was actually the most like it was one of the best weekends I can ever remember. I, I drove all the way up to Pooncarry. I launched at the boat ramp, drove upstream for a, a couple of hours, and it was just amazing. You know, like I, I got, um, I think eight fish over eighty in between eighty and a meter seventeen. But it was this, it was this um, meter seventeen that that hit me, and it was just, it was such a big river fish too. It was, it was just the best fight. Like it was towing me around in the boat. Um, I had the electric motor on six, six or seven, and it was still pulling me backwards up quite quickly. Um, my net was too small, so it was just basically everything that could go wrong but end right <laughs> happened. It was just like yeah. it was just like the per- for me the perfect story. Like it, it almost went all wrong, but I ended up getting it, and it was just it was amazing. It was just such a such a good fight, such a difficult fish to land. It just made me work for it. Every second of that fight, I had to, you know, work my ass off. I was panting like a pig by the end of it, which isn't that hard, especially these days, but it was just awesome. Yeah, nice. So what time What time of year was it and, and was it sitting shallow and, and did it hit you like real close to the structure and, and what lure What lure were you casting? Obviously, it was one of yours. Yeah, so I was just fished a Dino 90 that, um, that weekend. So it was like, it was... Uh, what was it? August. Um, it was I guess August thirty. I can't remember how many days there are in bloody August. But it was a. It was the last day of cod season because um, I had to get back uh, to the boat ramp. I couldn't fish the next day as much as I wanted to. I, I, I couldn't do that, of course, if I got busted doing that. But um, yeah. So yeah, it was on a Dino ninety, and it, it was just casting a big lay down. Um, yeah, just. just uh, I, I don't really cast to the root ball. I really don't care much about the root ball unless the root ball's fully submerged. So I probably cast three quarters of the way to the um to to the to the root ball if that's on the bank, and then I sort of try to get it diving down in between, right in where those big branches are. That's where I want my lure working. So it was doing that, but it was out far wider than I wanted. And yeah, well, it it was just yeah probably only a, a couple of meters down under. 
one of those main branches. Yeah, nice. Got to love it. Got to love a good story, especially when one in particular pops their head. Normally, everyone's got that one memory of a big fish they've caught. So, I really appreciate your time uh, to talk to me on this podcast. So, have you got one last thing you'd like to share with our listeners? One piece of advice for life, like you're, you're full of energy, you know, you started a business young, um, you've taken life into your own hands. Do you have a, a piece of advice, whether it's advice for fishing or, or just life in general? Um, I, I think probably my biggest uh, piece of advice and I, I, um, it's probably just a bit, getting a bit older now is just, just, in, just enjoy every minute. Like every weekend that you've got to go cod fishing, like it's just like absolute gold. I used to fish all the time and I, I did love it but I probably took it for granted. Now, if I get a morning to go fishing, I'm as happy as a pig in shit. Like I'm just out there. I couldn't care less if I catch anything. Just embrace it. If you've got a bit of time, just make sure you enjoy the weekends with the boys. If you've got a morning to fish by yourself, just enjoy it. Like that's what it's all about. Yeah, so just switch off from the world, go out with mates, family, whatever it is, and just enjoy the whole surroundings, whether you get a fish or not. Yeah, like don't worry too much about, you know, like it's it's nice when we get that photo, you get to post it on Instagram, but it, it, that's secondary. Like if you, you're going out there, like it's not about trying to, you know, be sponsored or, or all that sort of thing. Like just get out there and enjoy it, you know, like... You just yeah, you just you got to get out there and just enjoy fishing. If you if you catch something, it's a bonus. Of course, we want to catch something, but just just enjoy it. Yeah, it's a simple piece of advice, but it's I find it's forgotten quite a lot, and and I I even forget it a lot because I'm out there trying to create content for people, um, film videos, and you know we we want to make sure we get it all done. But there's there's times where you got to be like, all right, let's just in like you got to just take a few breaths and you know enjoy. And especially enjoy the catch. That's what I've loved about fishing my whole life is like when you catch one is just being in total awe of the fish. Um, I know a lot of people who catch a fish and, you know, it's back, like, you know, it's unhooked and it's gone and like they didn't even smile for the photo. And I'm like absolutely pumped. Like you have to just live it up. And, and obviously it shows because, you know, I've created all this content. It's the passion that comes through. So you've just got to enjoy every moment just like you said. Yeah, yeah. It goes by quick. It really does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, mate, uh, thanks, James, for joining me. Um, it was great to to hear about that stuff about my whaler and the weed beds. It's something I've actually never never really thought about. So that's I'm I'm so glad you shared that with us, and also you know everything else and and the whole ballista journey. And good luck for the future. I hope to see some more awesome lures come out. But I uh, really appreciate you joining me on one of the episodes of our podcast. Awesome, thanks, heaps, mate. And there you have it, guys. That was a cracker of an episode. I really love sitting down with James and just those things he talked about. Even I myself learned something new. So I'm sure you will have gained something new from this episode as well. Now, since recording that episode with James, um, I received a tremor myself and was able to go and test it out uh, on a recent trip. Uh, I, we just, I just had a quick fish with it and I tell you what, it is an incredible lure. The fact that you can change the three different bibs and the uh, the diving bib is so much different than any other lure. It's such a large lure but the bib is quite subtle. It's not a massive thump so it's easy to retrieve. You can go slow with it because it gets down. You can go fast with it but you can feel the vibration on and off as you retrieve because I'm using braid good sensitive rod, you can feel it on, off, on, off and it is going to trigger so many fish to bite. So make sure you go check out the Tremor if you haven't already. Now, I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Those
those tips James shared were absolutely incredible, um, especially at stuff about fishing above weed beds. And it's a technique that probably a lot of people don't try. So next time you're out in the water, in a lake like Mawala or something similar, just do a little bit of sighting. Do a bit of looking around, try and find some weed beds. Now, something I recommend for fishing is if you can... Try. It's hard because you just want to get on the water and fish, but try and do a bit of searching, especially if you've gone away for three days or if you fish a spot a lot. Do some research because research can actually end up catching you more fish. Yeah, you may fish a little bit less, but if you spend a, an hour or two doing a bit of research and trying to find the best place rather than just fishing on the first spot you'd stumble across, it could result in more fish and it does if you do it properly. Do your research because it is key. Once again, I want to thank James for that chat. It was it was a great uh, episode of the podcast and I want to, again, thank you guys for tuning in and listening. I'm getting so many messages on Facebook of people going, I'll listen to the podcast, you know, I learned this or I went and did this and it worked or even the people who gave us some feedback on the episode about the blaring fish kill. I really love that feedback and it's great to hear you guys are enjoying the podcast. The more support we get, the more of these we can make. If you have any ideas for topics for us to talk about, send them through because we love topics and we love talking about what you want to learn about. So guys, thanks again for joining me in this episode and like always, get out there and catch some fish and I'll be talking to you very soon. 